Hello and welcome to another episode of the Formation Podcast. We are back with episode eight and we're all in a pretty good mood this morning. Football is back on our screens. The Premier League is back. Um, we've got lots coming up for you. We're going to look back at the two games that we've already had so far and we're going to look ahead to the first weekend. It's been over 100 days now, but we're excited. We've finally got some football to talk about rather than transfer rumours and all of that. It is back. But first of all, I introduce ourselves as we always do. I'm George and today I'm joined by... Harry. Sam. And Devon. Yep. So we are back. Like we said, the football is back and the Premier League, of course, it returned with its first two games last night. And in the first game, it had to return with some controversy. Um, it was Aston Villa against Sheffield United. It finished nil-nil, goalless. But really, um, it shouldn't have finished goalless. Does someone want to step up? Um, Devon, you were covering this game for Pila Sports. I'll you want to step up and big, explain? Big Sheffield United fans are. For anyone who, um, for anyone who didn't manage to catch this game, which, to be honest, if you didn't, where were you? Um, what were you doing last night if you didn't watch it? Do you want to explain what happened and why there's been so much controversy after this game? Yeah, I don't know if people in Sheffield missed it because of the reopening of Medwall, which I don't think they would have. But um, where do I start? Uh, Aston Villa had the... Very, uh, had the first 10 15 minutes, they were very bright, uh, really put you know, question Sheffield United's backline. But then after the drinks break, which is a new, uh, new introduction, um, because of the, the coronavirus situation, um, I'm not sure what that kind of does. I think it's just maintaining the water levels, uh, because mm. the, the lack of uh, match sharpness. Um, but the 42nd minute. Ollie Norwood lifts the ball into the area. Nyland forgets that he's a goalkeeper, I think. Just, it, it were a mixture of not being able to catch the ball. Um, I think he knocked him knocked into Conser and he's fell back over the line, but somehow tried to keep it over uh, like keep it in play and ultimately failed. The ball definitely failed. <laughs> pressed the ball against the post. John Egan's going. Mental Sheffield United start celebrating. Even the Villa fans, you saw at Villa players, not fans because there were no one there, but Villa players were just, you know, strolling back to the halfway line. Even Jack Grealish had his head down. And you could tell that Villa knew that had gone in. But as, as all eyes veered towards Michael Oliver, nothing was given. He pointed to his watch saying nothing, pointed to his ear saying nothing, and there was outraged. And I think the main difference is that. Normally, he'd have had about five, 6,000 Sheffield United fans on his back after that and Villa fans going, well, and instead they were all at home, especially on the screens. Um, just just what a mess up it has all been. Yeah, it just was, makes you, yeah, go on, George. It was uh, fairly baffling to watch, wasn't it? Um, Sam, obviously everyone could see watching at home with the replays when they showed them that it... Um, that it was that it was over the line. So why why did VAR not intervene? Do you think? I'm definitely the wrong person to ask about this because <laughs> I, with a lot of people, have no idea why they didn't look at it. 
it just makes you like it just makes you think what is what is the point of referees now like it feels like so many of the key decisions are taken out of their hands because of these VAR rules that to a lot of people don't make any sense and it's you know it's when when that moment happened it was like yeah now the Premier League's back now that we've had a technology mishap now the Premier League's back and it was it was certainly very strange to see with goal line technology which has actually been perfect really it's been the best implementation of technology in football to be honest and this is the first time we've seen a mishap from there so I'll, I'll let I'll let that department off this time but Again, they are just taking the decision out of the referee's hand. You got you got to feel for Michael Oliver a little bit. That he's you know that's all he can do. The rep, the watch hasn't told him it's a goal. That's all he can do. Yeah, I think the fact that the technology has never failed, even if Oliver himself, before checking his watch, thought it was in, he surely has to trust what his watch is saying after yeah. it's proven so reliable. Do you think that's right, Harry? Is that something he has to do? Oh, yeah, they put a statement out at the end of the game saying, well, guys, this is the first time in 9,000 matches. I think that includes tennis as well. I might be wrong in that, that anything has ever gone wrong. So no one, no one should blame Michael Oliver because if his watch has told him that nothing, it's not gone in, sometimes your eyes deceive you either way. So he's got to trust what's been given. I agree that VAR should have stepped in and I thought at the time that it couldn't because of some sort of overruling thing. But when I was listening to the game, apparently it can overrule the GDS system. So I don't quite know what's gone on now. I don't know why they've not quite picked it up. But yeah, they, we, we all know it should have been given. But apparently at halftime, the watch did say it was a goal. So... You know, the watch did work eventually, but, you know, it worked for the second half as well. But there was nothing, nothing weirdly enough. There was lag. nothing quite as controversial in the second half. Um, there was some discussion on Twitter as well, a few fans suggesting that what Villa should have done, maybe morally and in the term of being good sportsmen, or, or being good sportsmen, um, they should have allowed Sheffield United to dribble the ball in like they were allowed to do at Ellen Road last year. But do you think, Devon, because it was the technology which failed this time rather than Villa doing something wrong like Leeds did before, do you think that means Villa don't have to do that? Um, I think it's different situations, really. The Villa, uh, the Villa versus uh, Leeds one was because one of the players was down and then they carried on and Bielsa told them to, whereas... This one is that technical uh, technical fault, and I, I, it just depends what your morals are like, I suppose, as a team. If Villa, if that point kept Villa up, I don't think they'd be complaining. Whereas if they went and scored and went down by a point, I, I don't think they'd, uh, <laughs> I don't think they'll mind in the long run. But um, especially with Villa's running, I think they'll take a point all day, even though um, they they could have won it in the in the first half of the first half and the second half. It was just that after that initial 10, 15 minutes were gone, Villa looked out of it. Yep. So as we said, it started off with a nil nil, which maybe should have been a victory for Sheffield United. But the second game last night was between two of the big six of, as they're called Arsenal, of course, haven't lived up to that this year, but they're still in the big six and um, Man City got off, well, restarted with a win. Um, it's easy to say that they got off with a win, isn't it? Because it's been so long, but it's not a new season. They restarted with a win. And 
David Luiz for Arsenal was the man oh, in Deadline. He oh, had a stinker, dear. didn't he, Sam? Oh, my God. It was awful. I mean, David Luiz has got a bit of a reputation of, you know, making these sort of just terrible mistakes, giving away penalties, getting sent off, making these mistakes. But this was, this was just like a once-in-a-lifetime terrible performance from him. And with, you know, his contract running down the the date for that clause to be added on that one year extension to be added on coming thick and fast. I don't, I mean, Arteta said he's, his opinion of him has not changed after the game, but I find that hard to believe because there's just an abysmal performance from Luis. So I, I don't see him continuing as an Arsenal player into next season. Do you think um, Arteta maybe feared? Do you think he saw this performance coming, hence why he put him on the bench? Or do you think he just knows that he's a loose cannon and things can go wrong all the time? I think he's been he's been touted as more of a leader in the Arsenal dressing room. But again, that's just like, like Carragher said after the game, that's maybe just because of his age and sometimes experience is overrated. You know, it's all good having experience, but you've got to, you've got to lead by example. And he certainly didn't do that yesterday. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, of course, was very impressive for Man City again. Do you think that showed just how vital it is that they are able to keep hold of him? He's been touted with a move away because of the Champions League ban, but how important is it that they keep hold of him? Harry, what do you think about that? He's a man that can get into any midfield in world football. He's just he's, he makes the game look easy. And once again, despite the fact that his pass to Sterling wasn't the best, once again he puts it in that sort of dangerous area, forcing David Luiz to make a decision. He makes the wrong one, and Sterling's in there, scores a penalty. It was never really any doubt. He's key to that. He's key to that midfield. Yes, he was injured for the majority of last season. They still won the title. But this season, once again, he's been one of their star players, one of the league's star players as well. I mean, directly involved in 25 goals this season. I think that just shows what how key Kevin De Bruyne is. And, you know, the biggest thing that's going to come from this, whether Man City get this Champions League ban, is, is the future of players like Kevin De Bruyne. Because I think if this two-year ban is kept... Then I don't I don't see him staying. He's he's just too good to not be in in the in the greatest club competition. Devin, do you fear for Arsenal for their final? Well, they've got nine games left. Do you fear for them two injuries? There seems to be a bit of I don't know whether it's unrest. Maybe that's bad of me to say, but not a good start. Do you fear for them for the final few games? <sighs> I think you you hit the nail on the head there. Um, no shots on target in the whole of that game. Obviously, you're playing against Man City. You've got to have a, a bit of you know um, realism. But still, Norwich City managed to get three shots on target against them back in August. Um, yeah, September. <laughs> September. So um, it shows that City are vulnerable. And we've seen that uh, in the past where because of the injury to Laporte, and Fernando uh, Fernandinho going back to centre half. That City have allowed more shots uh, onto the goal from outside the area, but they just didn't get the ball into uh, Abamyang um, enough. Really, I didn't really see him become that you know opponent feature up front that we've seen in 
seen all season, really, and, and it looks like his head's already at his next move because um, I, I don't think anyone would like to stay at Arsenal, wants to move to Arsenal, apart from, you know, lower Premier League sides. And I think this whole... Arteta's got a massive job on his hands to make Arsenal great again because they they look years off it. So I think Arsenal. Go on, Sam. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I think Arsenal are in real danger of slipping out of that top six for for a, on a permanent basis. If they lose their you know their key attacking players like Aubameyang, Lacazette, then there's nothing. There's nothing in that team, and they always seem they always seem to crumble against the top six. I mean, they're winless in the last 26 Premier League away games against yeah. the top six. So, I think that just shows that, I know it's very football fan to say this, but they've got no bottle. You know, they've got no leaders. No, James, I, think, uh, I think that's very that's very fair to say that that record was staggering to see. I mean, it's not a surprise because as you say, we've seen so many occasions when they don't turn up against the big teams, but that really is something that they'll need to fix. Devon, what were you going to add? Sorry, I cut in there. Um, I think Arsenal, We did. you said top six earlier and you uh, did the quotations for them. Yeah. Um, but I think they've lost that status now. I think Wolves have more than justified the last two seasons that they're starting to make that transition into that side. Um, you know, Man United are starting to become the big club again and that that's solidifying that five, and it's that one spot where um, that what that's been very open, and you know Everton are getting stronger, and arguably not as consistent as Arsenal at times, but they're slowly making that way, especially with Ancelotti in charge. Um, even Burnley, who have more wins than Arsenal, are starting to become a better, more solid Premier League side than Arsenal, and you know the. They're just in the uh, the past of um, Wenger still. I think we saw, especially like with Man United, towards the tail end of Sir Alex Ferguson's reign, you could tell that you know things are not going to be great straight away. And the same with Arsenal, and they're not really prepared for it as well. They've thrown Emery into the into the mix where he had a squad that that Sevilla squad's much stronger than the Arsenal squad that he had, and the cohesiveness of Sevilla he couldn't bring to Arsenal, and that's why he failed. And I think. Although Arteta could be a good manager in the long run, whether he'll be given the patience and the time to really overhaul the squad, that that that's the main question here. I think they need to hit the the restart button though, because and just have a massive overhaul. Because Liverpool did that, Chelsea did that when they sort of they. I think when Leicester won the league and Saints finished fifth, I think Liverpool came like eighth or ninth. They do need to stick that restart button because say it takes them three years to get into the Champions League and they do that restart. By that time, Aubameyang will be 34, Lacazette will be 32 or 33 and they'll be past their peak anyway. I'd say this summer, just cash in on Aubameyang if they've got, if they can, because it'll be the last time you can get quite a big, not a big fee, but a 30, 40 million pound fee and try and, you know, bring those in Ketia's through. Because in Ketia, at the start, before David Luiz came on, I think it was a bright spark against Eric Garcia. And I think he got in behind a couple of times. For me, if I was an Arsenal fan, I'd sort of not cling on to that top six, top four hope for the next couple of years and just allow a restart to happen. Because with a lot of teams, you have to go back before you go forward. And I think that's that's what the Gunners need to do. They've got a lot of hangers and hangers mm. on and passengers in the side, especially you know players like you know they 
there's some I think there's some kind of loyalty issue if you can call it that because mm. they've give Ozil more time than he probably deserved there. Um, Jenkinson's an example where he's not been that great, but they held on in held on to him a few seasons too long, and now obviously he's, he's moved on. But it's just an example of that. Arsenal keep all the players that they shouldn't keep hold of too long, and even like with the Pepe situation, no matter if he'll be, turn out to be a good player or not, it's a sign of that Arsenal are just having to spend as much money as they can in little, you know, bits and spurts because they can't keep up with the quality of the players. They've just got to, you know, fork out for one player, but they can't build a team around him. Harry, is that your dog barking in the background there? Yeah, that, that's why I'm new to that's why I'm new to my mic because there's lightning and thunder just crashing down left, right, and centre. <laughs> and I didn't know I didn't know if the mic could pick it up, so that's that's why I, I'm new to myself. I think it's stopped now, so I think she might have quietened down. You see, you do get bad weather in the south. You do get bad weather in the south. I, I couldn't hear any thunder and lightning. I could just hear the dog, but it was not an attraction <laughs> yeah. at all. Uh, maybe they really, really dislike Arsenal, and they just want to <laughs> want to hear the opinion known. I mean, I mean, they might have to bring dogs into the stadium just to fill the Emirates more next season. <laughs> okay, so we uh, we have discussed the opening two games ahead of the first proper weekend. Now, every Premier League team has nine games to go, so it's time to look ahead at that weekend. It really is going to be a feast of football. Um, there's four games, of course, on Saturday, three on Sunday, but first on Friday the two biggest games of the weekend. Um, <laughs> the, the biggest will kick it off at six o'clock. Norwich against Southampton. Oh, yes. uh, I don't think this is going to get the uh, biggest viewing figures of the weekend, but never know. Um, this is going to be a big game, particularly for Norwich. Um, I'm not going to try and talk up our hopes of survival. I'm going to ask Devon, first of all. Devon, how important could a win be for Norwich in this game? I think the win is what they need. A win, uh, a win, sorry. A win <laughs> is, uh, is what they could certainly get. Um, I think they have, you know, the, the Tottenham result in the friendly, even though it's a friendly and they weren't, they weren't, you know, proper referees there and that. I think that'll give them a lot, a big boost. And it seems from what I've been reading that Norwich are in a good place at the minute. And um, if they could, you know, they've always had that uh, the nice, attractive football that they've tried to play. It's just been one or two tweaks of the area, you know, the defence and, you know, not being probably as, as consistent up front as they'd like to have been. And if they'd have sorted this problem out, earlier they might have been in a p- better position to say look we're not out of this but um i don't i think the you don't you probably don't want to ask me or sam these questions i think it's you two that need to no. get, the, get the gloves off and, uh, yeah that's, that's what i'm expecting off. to be honest uh, so uh, i skipped over this everything like that you to, two would... i'd like to, i'd like to pose a question to harry and see yep. bring south uh i'm gonna say south end then southampton <laughs> um Pierre Emile Heuberg, how much of an effect will he it will his attitude have been on that Southampton squad? Or do you think because Harzen Hotel's pulled the trigger and got, be stripped him of the captain's there, do you think everyone Wait, be... he hasn't he hasn't killed him, has he? <laughs> <laughs> He's dismissed of him. 
Pull the trigger. Uh, from from, from <laughs> his clothes, he's very angry. Let's play <laughs> I think old PS, when he's plays, and I think he he's sort of known that he's going to leave in the summer. I think he's a fantastic professional from what we've seen. And I think, I think he'll sort of understand why he can't be, I think he'll be frustrated because I think he'll still give everything, but I do think that it's, it's the right decision to make and giving it to War Prowse, you know, I think that that's, a, that's something that he's dreamed of as a, as a kid coming through the Southampton Academy. So I'm, I'm glad they've given it to him, although I might've given it to Jack Stevens because I think he's more of a captain, but going into this game, you know, I'm not massively confident because I'm going to say this now. I don't think we're going to go down. I think we're five or seven points above the relegation zone and we're not going to get Europe or it's very unlikely. So we're sort of in the... So you don't the... need points then on Friday? So we don't, we don't need points, but with Shane, I think Shane Long's a <laughs> already down. already making the excuses. When Chad Adams comes in, he's, he's going to want to prove himself. You know, this has been a, a, a 100-day pre-season. So it's, it's going to be an interesting game to see where both sides are at. So I think for me... I think it'll be a draw. Um, yeah, I. You said um, you said you wanted me to back back to Harry, so I will. Um, I I agree that I think Saints will pose a threat to us because I think they showed in the first game in December. You know, me and Harry watched it on Amazon. I think. Uh, mm. It wasn't popular in the sports bar, so we had to <laughs> go somewhere else to watch it on a... Well, it was on your, your TV, Harry. But yeah. That night, Norwich were beaten by two set pieces um, and Ward-Prowse will, of course, play on Friday night. But I do think if we can play our way, like we said, Dev, and Jamie Carragher mentioned in the build-up last night that he thinks behind closed doors, the teams who like to keep it on the floor and play it nicely might benefit um so if that is to be the case then hopefully we can profit and like you said we have to get a win because the gap at the bottom isn't getting any smaller without us picking up results ourselves so i think it's going to be pretty vital that we do kick it off with a win I'd like to, I agree with your point. I think Villa showed that last night that they actually did get the ball down and play some quite good football. And I think, you know, they exposed Sheffield United, especially that, that Davis versus Egan battle were very good. And you could probably see that with Norwich and take, you know, examples if, you know, like uh, if uh, Puki can get his ups, uh, get his side, uh, get upside um, Stevens and really, you know, kind of ruffle him before getting in behind and finishing one off. Mm-hmm. Norwich could do that. I wanted to um, to bring attention to one other player that you know, um, it well, it you know, it wasn't a goalkeeper. We'll uh, we'll keep that as was reported elsewhere. But... Yeah, mm-hmm. as reported in other podcasts. Um, ah, ah. <laughs> um, ah. But Marco Stephenman's back in training now. Um, however, do you think he'll feature or not? Do you think it's too early? To be honest, even if he, uh, even if he hadn't have had the positive test, I wouldn't have had him in the eleven. Um, although uh, certain members of the Norwich fan base have said that he's been underused this year and that um, he hasn't been given enough time, I personally wouldn't have him in there. But I do think Farker does like certain abilities which Stephen brings. I don't think he will play, but I, he might feature on the bench because he's back in training today. So, uh, 
maybe he'll feature. I am glad that it wasn't Tim Krull, the goalkeeper, because <laughs> our backup isn't particularly good. But um... well, that's what that's what you get when you wait until sources have been confirmed. <laughs> uh, can we get a prediction out of you two boys? I'm going to go two 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 two. That's going to be for me. I think Norwich are going to win two nil. I'm quite confident, actually. All right, well, Sam, we're going to have to wait until Wednesday to get relegated and uh, Grimsby get promoted to do this little chat. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long time away, I'm afraid. So, it'll only be two seasons, no one knows. We might even be League Two by then. <laughs> yeah. A later game on Friday night is Spurs against Manchester United. Um, Spurs have got a lot of their assets, you know, Kane, Sonny, Bergwijn. Sonny. He's on nickname basis. <laughs> <laughs> everyone, everyone knows him as Sonny. Um, don't they? I don't know. Um, <laughs> That's how I oh, yeah. he, does, he does one career mode. He thinks his best mates are. <laughs> <laughs> they are all back from injury. Oh, come on. We're, we're friendly with Tottenham. We played a friendly against them. So. Yeah, they're all back from injury. Will there be a big incentive for Mourinho to go out and win this one after his time at United. Sam? Yeah, I think so. And it's two teams who were in very contrasting form before before the break. Manchester United were unbeaten in 11. Tottenham didn't have a win in six. So I think it's going to be big for Spurs to get off the ground running if they're really, they're really serious about getting back in those Champions League spots. Devon, do you think it's uh, exciting in this one that we could see Pogba and Bruno Fernandes playing together for United for the first time? Um, exciting, yes. Just depends if they'll work together. We've seen. I feel like if they're in a, a midfield three, they try. They'll try and get in the same positions because when Pogba's flourished, he likes to you know drift into the areas that Bruno has seen himself in when Pogba was unavailable. Um, and we've seen in the past, especially when Mourinho was there, he kind of restricted Pogba to the defensive roles, which, you know, that's when he got the the majority of his criticisms on the pitch. Um, however, so I don't think they'd work together in that kind of midfield three, um, unless you restrict Pogba. So I, I, I believe Sam's got a, because we definitely didn't cut. So Sam, I believe you've got a contrasted opinion. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, d- I don't think that Fogba will start against Spurs because of the long layoff that he's had, an extremely long layoff. So I think Ole will ease him back in. But I think going forward, that I think most Manchester United fans will want to see them start together. I think they're just, they're, as individuals, they're too good not to see them start together as in a midfield three with either McTominay or Matic as the holding midfielder. And they can sort of go forward, explore forward. I think Bruno Fernandes has been a brilliant signing for Manchester United. He's been involved in more goals than anyone in the in the team since he arrived. So I think with both of them, they've both got that creative spark. So I think it'll, it'll be really good to see them to play together. And uh, I think Man United fans are maybe dreaming of, uh, of uh, finishing in the top four, winning the FA Cup and also winning the Europa League, which we know is going to get back underway in August. Harry, do you think all of those three are likely, or do you think they should maybe lower their expectations a little bit, given it's Solskjaer's first full season? 
I think top four should be their priority over everything because they're running, statistically speaking, is I believe the easiest. And compared to Chelsea, they obviously form doesn't matter, but their squad now everyone's back fit looks very, very strong. And with Tottenham, if Manchester United win this game, I believe they're seven points clear of Tottenham. So Tottenham probably out of the Champions League race altogether. I think Europa League, for me, that's... It's difficult because it's a one-legged tie, so anything can happen on a one-off game. So if they try and focus on that, it's probably, even though it's all the way in August, it's probably not the smartest thing. So I believe focusing on top four is that priority. Because if they get Champions League football, then everything else will sort of fall into place next season because more players will want to join. The budget will be bigger because they're back in Champions League, meaning that there's more TV money and all, all that stuff that comes with the Champions League. So for me, top four should really be their priority and it's the most likely thing that's going to happen out of all those as well. So if we now move on to some of the games later in the weekend, on Saturday, the first game at lunchtime is Watford versus Leicester. Um, this season... <laughs> Leicester, Nigel Pearson go up against the side where he won two promotions. And of course, he also led them to the great escape in 2015. Not the great escape. There's been some more in the past and there'll be another one this year. (laughs) Um, You are on bad bars. It was a great escape in 2015. Um, do we think Watford have got a good chance at Vicarage Road? They certainly looked more bright, when, especially when Pearson came in. It, it, that Obviously, everyone's going to revert back to that 3-0 win over Liverpool. Um, as the, you know, the kind of point where it clicked. But then they followed that up with a 1-0 defeat to Crystal Palace, and that was disappointing. Um, and the, the, the forms kind of fluctuated between, well... Pearson's gotten firing, and that's the mistakes that we saw under um, at the start of the season. But I think it's going to be an interesting one. Both sides are desperate for wins. Watford need one because they obviously they're going to stay up, and Leicester need to maintain the form that they were showing towards the end of the um, before the the play got halted. Um, oh, even though Leicester did kind of fall off a little bit, but towards the last few games they. They started to play well again. Um, it'll be interesting, but I think I think Leicester's probably got too much quality for Watford. How vital, Harry, do you think Pearson's experience in this sort of situation, not just playing Leicester, but you know, for the rest of the season, how important will that be to their chances of survival? I think we've seen that so far before this point in the fact of I look at all these teams in this sort of relegation battle. And they're the team that I would fancy getting points where, you know, they're not expected to. You see, I believe they beat Manchester United early in the season. They beat Liverpool, obviously, quite comprehensively 3-0 a couple, obviously not a couple of weeks ago, a few months ago before the break. They're sort of team that, you know, with those experienced heads such as Troy Deeney, they're, they're going to grind out results. And I wouldn't be surprised here, you know, if they're able to get a draw. Leicester, it's going to be, I think they're, they're the team that's going to, be helped most by this break due to the fact they play a very energetic style and everyone's going to be fully fit, raring to go. But if there's this game's going to be quite tight due to the fact that I think Watford's fighting for survival. Leicester, they're going to get top four anyway. I think they're too far in front of the, the Man United, the Chelsea's to like to fall all the way down to fifth. So it's, it's going to be a it's going to be a close game. I feel. 
So that's just one of four games on Saturday, like we said. There are some important games across the board on the weekend. We'll just touch on a few now. Brighton play Arsenal. Brighton, obviously, have been sucked into that relegation battle. West Ham host Wolves. West Ham, another team who look in trouble, don't they? Um, Bournemouth are playing against Palace. That one on BBC One. So that one will get a big audience, you would have thought. Bournemouth, another team down there. But the one we're going to focus on today solely well most important probably this week well maybe not the most important but it's Wolves West Ham (laughs) is on Sunday evening and that is the Merseyside derby between Everton and Liverpool um how relieved first of all do you think Everton fans will be that Man City did the business on Wednesday so now the title doesn't rest on this game I think Everton would have actually, on, on a kind of flip note, loved to have denied Liverpool a title because, you know, it, it, again, you know, we, we're talking about previews. We're talking about basing it on what they were before the did it break. Anything can happen. And we've we've seen, you know, like in the Bundesliga with Schalke, they, they came back and were absolutely awful. And um, <clears throat> even a few teams took a little bit of, you know, time to get going again. And Liverpool might be that. Um, I think the ex- the main example is City. It looks dominant from the off again. Even after after that first like ten minute of settling period, Man City looked back to the best. And I think if trends are set, I think Liverpool will do the same. Um, however, you know, in hist- we've had history with um, Liverpool and Crystal Palace before in title runnings um, and mess- messing up uh, them games. So we'll, uh, we'll we'll not count it out until it's over, but. I think Liverpool will probably come back stronger. I think it would take quite something for Liverpool to blow it this year, but you're you're quite right. They have had trouble seeing it out before. Um, Harry, do you think Liverpool will find it easier in this derby game without the hostile Goodison Park atmosphere? It depends what their player mindset is, because a lot of players love that sort of atmosphere. Whether you're home or away, they, they thrive off that atmosphere. So it's it's going to be it's going to be strange, obviously, because obviously it's stereotypical for there be to a lot of animosity in that stage, and both before kick off when the buses are coming in and during the during the game, there's going to be nothing. It's going to be almost silent. So do I think the Liverpool players are going to be affected? Probably not massively. I think it's the break between fixtures will have the biggest hit, and also the want of Everton to finally break such a historic run of games without winning at Goodison Park. So for me, I think it's going to be another close. I think all the games recently are going to be quite close due to the fact that everyone's sort of in the same boat is that their fitness isn't amazing or at least the level of it was. And everyone doesn't want to start off with a loss. I think it'll also depend on the selections as well as we've seen so far. Uh, Man City surprisingly included Garcia and hopefully he'll get back from his injury uh, to it was a nasty one. Uh, Villa went with Davis in their side um, and a couple of youngsters on bench and it'll be it'll be interesting to see if we saw people like Curtis Jones uh, play for and start and Harvey Elliott for uh, for Liverpool or whether they'll just put out the full strength until they've com- actually confirmed it and then bring integrate some of the youngsters um 
it, it's all it, again. It's about fitness. Who's fitter, and especially in them last ten minutes when your legs are going. If if it's that competitive edge of a Merseyside derby, both teams might have burnt out by then. Yep, I think this one is one that we're all looking forward to. So we're going to quickly get some predictions. I'm just going to ask each of you what score do you think it's going to be, Sam? Two now, Liverpool. Harry, one 0 to Liverpool. Devon, two one Everton. Oh, I um, I agree with Sam. I reckon. 2-0 to Liverpool. Um, I'm actually going to be testing your knowledge of the Merseyside derby in the quiz very shortly. But before we do that, we're just going to quickly touch on a few games in the Championship because that has survived the pandemic too. That is going ahead this weekend. And there's... Best league in the world. Say again? Best league in the world. Championship. <laughs> <laughs> There are several um, enticing games taking place. It all kicks off on Saturday and the early kickoff is a London derby. It's third against fourth, Fulham against Brentford. Um, I think this one is televised too, should you want to watch it. Um, Sam, do you think either of these sides stand any chance of closing the gap on the top two? It's tough. I think Fulham are closer, but... If they're, if they're really serious about it, they've got to win. So I think I think West Brom are playing Birmingham, who have not been great. So if they don't pick up three points here against Brentford, then it could be a nine-point gap by the end of it. And it's for this game, it's really the battle of the attacking units. You've got Mitrovic, Bobby Reid, Tom Kearney versus Watkins, Ben Rama, ben Rama and Mbwema. So that'll be, I think, it'll be a really interesting game with two really goal-scoring focus teams going up against each other. Um, do you think this could potentially be seen as a rehearsal for the managers for a future clash should they meet in the playoffs? Because if they don't finish in that top two, they're likely to finish in that top six, aren't they? Yeah, I think the they're, they're, as Sam alluded to, they're the most prolific and exciting teams to watch in the Championship, especially you know the BMW and um, of uh, of Brentford. It, it's just they're absolutely you know memorize, mesmerizing to watch, and especially Ben Rama. And we saw the skills that against uh, against Arsenal and and how good he was in them two um, friendlies. But um, <clears throat> I think I think for them the two sides, the playoffs is what they'll settle for anyway. Because I mean, even though Fulham have got. In their own hands because they do play Leeds, West Brom, and probably Cardiff. That's the most, um, the hardest fixtures in that running. Um, I think playoffs is pretty much settled. It's the it's the final two whether Forest and and Preston will keep up with the the pack. And you know, out of all the sides, it's probably if we if we get onto it. I know we're a bit strict for time, but um, Millwall out of that little group seems the most likely to break into that top six at the minute. Yep, and Millwall on Saturday host Derby, who also, um, their hopes aren't completely over. They're five points off sixth place. Um, we've obviously got links to Derby going there for university. Devon, you were shaking your head. Do you not think they're, they're in amongst that bunch? Do you think they're too far back? Yeah, I think it's been a case of us like going to Derby that we've missed Frank Lampard 
and by the time we leave, that's when Derby. I'm missing out, obviously. But by the time we've leave, Derby probably will still be in the championship. They they seem to just not get any further forward. They either have a really good start and then tail off, or they have a bad start and then get better. Um, I, I think it's a bit too much for Derby. I think it's a bit too early as well. Um, but you never know if, if if Rooney can really get that experience in and make them level-headed because they, they seem as sometimes they're a side that gets a bit too excited going forward and forgets the defensive duties. Um, they're really going to rely on the the heads of Rooney and Curtis Davis in this in this last running as well. But I don't I don't I think I think it's been an all right season for Kaku and next season if they could build on it, depending on finances and obviously the situation with the FFP and the ground whether they get any back, more backlash from that. Um, I think next season, that's where Derby need to build towards. I think I think it's been a, a decent season for Derby. I think the lone players they had last season were their core, like Tamori, Wilson, Mountain were, were their core. Tamori was player of the season, obviously. So just to lose them instantly was, was always going to be tough. But I think, yeah, they've been inconsistent, been really poor away from home especially, but... I think he's done an all right job. But I don't like Devon says. I think it's a bit too much than this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is an equally interesting battle going on at the bottom. Um, there are several teams who are at risk of going down. One interesting game this weekend is Hull against Charlton. Um, Harry, you saw Charlton. Was it? Mm. I think they lost four nil. Um, Based on that day and obviously anything that you've watched of them throughout the season, can you see them pulling themselves away from the, you know, the battle at the bottom, especially with Lyle Taylor not being able to play or not choosing to play? The issue, yeah, I was going to say, the issue is that against Huddersfield, a a relegation rival, they weren't anything special, quite obviously because of the the 4-0 loss. They, They had a bright start, as many teams do, in the opening 10 minutes and then fell away. And then I think Huddersfield made a couple substitutions in the second half, which really, really changed the game. But the problem is Hull are another team where they've lost, they lost Bowen, they lost Krasiski and then they've plummeted through the table. So it's, <coughs> I think it's going to be quite a tight game due to the fact that Hull, not in, it's difficult to say they're in free fall due to the fact that we've had this three month break. So we don't know what could happen. But I think Lyle Taylor might have changed. I heard something recently about Lyle Taylor maybe reversing his decision. So that would be interesting to see if that is the case. But I think it's going to be, it's going to be a tight game. It's, we've, got a, we've got a weekend of derbies here, haven't we? We've got Merseyside derby, London derby, uh, Nigel Pearson derby. <laughs> and now we have the battle, at the out-of-contract derby. Um, <laughs> Hull have released their retainment list, haven't they? And they've lost uh, yep. five—is it five or four players? Uh, Eric Lee, Jackson Irvine, Kingsley, and mm-hmm. uh, Marcus Madison won't be renewing his loan past the thirtieth of June. And um, also, Malik Wilkes will be going back to Barnsley, which might be a, a boost for them as well to in that relegation battle. But I think Barnsley and Luton are probably the teams that are not favourable to come out of it. I think Hull are very in a very worrying position. They're not they, they they can they can't buy a win at the minute. Even that Charlton, if we go back to obviously we've been saying about the it feeling like it's the first game of a season. If we could go back to that basis, Charlton were flying at the start, and if they could get even when 
uh, and Lyle Taylor got picked up an injury in that run, Macaulay Bond took responsibility, and you know, I think he got eight goals in about 12 games. If he could pick up that form again, Charlton might be able to steer, uh, steer it away, and, and then everyone will be holding their hands up for Lee Boyer, whether the links will affect him to Birmingham, who knows, but I think out of the two, Charlton are probably in a better position, especially if, if Harry's right, if Lyle Taylor does revert his, uh, revert his decision and play Charlton, probably the favourite out of the two to stay up. Yeah, I just, I've just checked it now. The Lee Bowyer, three days ago, rubbished the reports that Lyle Taylor's performed a U-turn over a refusal to play. So it's still it's still up in the air whether it it's true or not. <laughs> We're turning into the goalkeeper situation with the coach. <laughs> <laughs> right. I double check my facts then. If I'm wrong, I'll say. <laughs> right, okay. okay. Hull and Charlton have an equal uh, odds of going down now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good point. Um, there are some other games which are probably worthy of a mention. Devon, your team, Sheffield Wednesday, host Forest. Um, do you think? This is maybe a silly question because there are so many teams in that mix. Wednesday, we'll just be hoping to to see this season out and avoid the relegation battle and just start again in the summer, won't they? Um, start again in the summer's definitely right. Uh, if we don't, I, I I don't know what's happening at Wednesday because there's not been any news on the contract situations as of yet. Um, it, as, as it stands after June 30th, we only have 13 outfield senior players, and that's including Yurigide and Alex Hunt, who are, I think, 20 and 21, respectively. If, if it's that, it, and you've got to bear in mind in that kind of bulk, we lose Kieran Lee, we lose um, Kieran Westwood, who hasn't really been playing anyway, but more importantly, we lose Stephen Fletcher, who is on his career high. There's third. nobody better, is there? There's nobody better than Stephen Flood. Not even Cunaguero from what we saw last night. Um, that That's the more worrying situation. Mix that with Forrest, who have been strong and needed this break because of the little run that they had before the uh, the uh, the ending of the season, nearly. Um, <clears throat> I think Forrest, it's Forrest to lose this one because Wednesday could surprise everyone and get a win from nowhere because that's how dodgy we are. But I think Forrest have got that in the bag, unfortunately. <laughs> yep, it promises to be a very exciting weekend indeed. Um, we hope that you enjoy it and that you can dedicate as much time as you can to watching football, as I'm sure we all will be, or maybe. But um, well, as I mentioned, the quiz... Bedtime. <laughs> the quiz this week is on Merseyside derbies, so... Reach for your notepads. If you've made it this far on the podcast, watching us or listening to us, then feel free to play along at home as well. It's um, good work already. <laughs> so after 14 rounds, Harry opened up a lead last week again at the top. It was looking like it was getting tight, but Harry pulled it out of the bag. This is round number 15, and it is the history of the Merseyside Derby and there's the Twitter app for those of you watching. To be fair, that, sa- that saves me editing it at the bottom there. I could just hold that up for the entire show. <laughs> okay, question number one. 
what was the score between the two sides in the reverse fixture at Anfield in December? Oh. We did mention this earlier. I made a conscious effort not to um, turn your attention towards it. Um, what was the score between the two sides in the reverse fixture? Shows that I was listening. At Anfield, of course. There were there were fans there that day too, unlike <laughs> there will be this Sunday. Question <laughs> number two. Who is the leading goal scorer in Merseyside Derby history, having scored 20 in the fixture in total? One player. Was he red? Was he blue? Could, could be both, couldn't he? Yeah, have been Ooh. players across the divide. Oh, red. Did Iago Aspas score that many? <laughs> <laughs> Question number three. In which year was Everton's last Merseyside derby victory? I'm looking for the calendar year, not the season, the calendar year. I saw, oh, I saw a stat somewhere that's... Oh, I can't remember if this is... I almost, look, I almost looked this up before the, um, the quiz because I knew this would be a question and then I, I didn't. And I, now I regret not doing my research. Uh... Oh, he's cheating. He's cheating. <laughs> Do more than that, sorry. I'm trying to think. I, I don't know. Uh... I'm trying to think about the kit that I can't, I can, I've got in my mind. I can't remember what year it's from. Uh Okay, question number four now. Who was the last player to score a Merseyside Derby hat trick? And what was the calendar year when he scored it as well? That, we that's two a two points? pointer. Mm. So, which player last scored a hat trick? What year was it when he scored it? This is a punt and half, this. I'm going to tell you that. In case you're writing him down, it isn't Luis Suarez. No, it wasn't. <laughs> you weren't writing him down, but I don't think oh. he ever scored a. I'm sure Harry's hearing towards it. It's not him, it's someone, it's someone else that I can't. Because I think it was on like a soccer box or something ages ago. It was, it was on some sort of programme that I was watching, and I can't think for the life of me who it was. That's annoying. This is a pun. Final Uh, question is, how many times have Everton won at Anfield in the Premier League era? So that's in in Premier League games only. How many times have they won at Anfield in the Premier League era? So they've had how many attempts? They must have had... 27 attempts. No, 28. Because this is the 28th season. <laughs> more, more advertisement there, Devon. Um, okay, gonna... I have to pay for this sponsorship. <laughs> the formation. Question number one was, 
What was the score between the two sides in the reverse fixture this season? Harry, I'm going to start with you. What do you think the score was? I put 5-2 to Liverpool. Harry has said 5-2. Sam? I said 3-1. Sam's gone with 3-1. And Devon? Uh, I've gone with 2-0, but I think that's the FA Cup game. Um, I think the FA Cup game was 1-0. What was the score... Sorry, I'm just reading my question now. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Yes, um, George, what was the score? What I was going to say, uh, earlier on when we were discussing Norwich Saints, I said that um, people were maybe interested in another game on the night the reverse fixture was. That was Liverpool-Everton. And Harry clearly remembers it. It was 5-2. 5-2 to Liverpool. Damn it. Question number two the leading scorer in Merseyside Derby history. Who is it? Sam, what are you saying? I crossed out Gerard. I went Fowler. You've with Fowler. Devon? Oh. Yeah, I've, I didn't cross out Gerard. I put You've Gerard. Stevie G-Force. And Harry? Yeah, I put Stephen Gerard as well. Stevie G. Well, he's going to be Duncan Ferguson. Uh, I believe that um, Stevie G was fourth on the all-time list. Um, second was Everton's Dixie Dean. First on the list. Ferguson. Ian Rush. Oh. Where was Fowler, do you know? I, I didn't see Fowler near the... Maybe he was, but he wasn't... He definitely wasn't above Gerrard. Um, <clears throat> Rush scored 13 in the league, five in the FA Cup, one in the League Cup, and another in the Charity Shield, which everyone cares about, don't they? But they all count. Um, Question number three. In which year was Everton's last Merseyside derby victory? Devon. I I can't remember the year of the kit, but I think it's 2015. You've gone with 2015. Harry? Oh, I went a lot earlier. I put 2007. 2007. Sam? I went 2016. 2016. Um, none of you are right, I'm afraid. It was 2010. Oh. Ten years ago. They won 2-0 at Goodison Park with goals from Tim Cahill and Mikel Arteta. So we've only had one point scored from three questions. Um, question number four. Who was the last player to score a Merseyside Derby hat-trick and what was the calendar year? I'll start with Harry on this one. So there's two parts of the answer, the player and the year. I had no idea, so I put Andrew Johnson in 2012. So I have absolutely no idea. Sam? I think you've got the year wrong. I'm pretty sure. I thought it was Gerard, but I'm not. I put 2011. I'm not sure. Gerard in 2011. And Devon? Talk about throwbacks here. I've gone for Nikita Vetjelovic in 2013. <clears throat> I can tell you, one of you is correct. And yes, Nikita. Sam, Sam oh. with Steven Gerrard, you were just one year out with the year. It was in 2012, but you still get one point for that. I'll take it. Question number five. How many times have Everton won at Anfield in the Premier League era? 
This is in league games only. Devon, what do you reckon for this one? It was question five, so I've gone for number five. <laughs> five, okay. And Sam? I also went five. You went with five too. Harry? I had no idea, so I just put two. Harry's gone with two. He had no idea. That is a very, very good uh, guess. Oh, for God's sake. Said one twice. Yes! Oh, no! <laughs> Come on! Um, George, stop two, doing looks. It was 2-1 in November 95 and 1-0 in September 99. Damn it. So, Harry extends his lead. Six. <laughs> um, so, if I total these up, don't need, you only need to do the top two scores. <laughs> You're quite right. Um, oh. Harry, on, <laughs> Harry on 38. He's now got a four-point lead over Sam on 34. Devon on 32. That one was presumably too hard this week. It was very... Playoffs. Huh? <laughs> very, very low scoring. Um, but we hope that if you were playing along at home, you probably weren't, let's be honest. But if you were, uh, <laughs> we hope that you oh, yeah. scored better than these guys did. Um, but that is all for this week's quiz. Um, as, as we said earlier, it's going to be a very exciting weekend. We've had three months off, but it's like the opening, opening day of the season. There's so much football on. Every single Premier League game is on and there's lots of championship games on too. So we hope... You enjoy that and we'll be back next week when there will have been a load more games to look back on and a load more to look forward to. So that will be good. Um, follow us at the underscore formation. Look at us on Facebook as well. And again, we'll advertise if you're a football writer and you want to get involved with the coverage over the next few weeks. Where should they go to? Pila dash or a hyphen sports.com followers at Peeler Sports or followers on Instagram at Peeler underscore sports yep you'll find us on social media Um, give us a follow drop us a message if you fancy it Um, but as we said enjoy your weekend and we will see you next week thank you very much (laughs)